Let's go around the horn, and I'll assume if you give me a go, you've got no instrumentation problems. Booster? Go flight. Retro? Go flight. Fighter? Go flight. Control? Telcom? Go. TNC? Econ? Capcom? Go. Surgeon? Go. ONC? Go. AFC? NIO? Go. Network? Go. You got everything up? Go. Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. As we have discussed before on the show, there are lots of ways to get to space, even if you never leave the ground. We've talked about getting to space by starting your own company. We've talked about getting to space by creating a space agency. We've talked about getting to space by the traditional route of working on a big space project. But today, we're going to talk to someone who gets to space by going, quite literally, to the ends of the Earth. Gordon Ozinski is a professor of planetary geology at the University of Western Ontario, where he is also the director of the Institute for Earth and Space Exploration. He has spent a career exploring some of the most remote places on planet Earth, and he uses that experience to teach astronauts what they will need to know to explore our solar system. And that makes him a Terranaut in my books. Dr. Gordon Ozinski, welcome to Terranauts. It's a pleasure to be on the show, Ian. So people can probably tell from your accent that you are not a native uh, of Canada, although you, you are at the University of Western Ontario. Where did you grow up? Yes, I've been in Canada 20 years now, so almost you know half my life. Um, but I grew up, I uh, was actually born in Rochdale in northern England. Um, my father was in the army, so you know the first decade of my life, we moved on average about once a year through northern England, Scotland, where my dad's from, and uh, in Europe as well. So, so growing up in the UK, was, was space something that was ever present to you? Did you think you were going to end up working in space for a living? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, it wasn't remotely on my radar. Um, you know, I was always, I've always been interested in science, and I think that's kind of where the, the foundation of my interests in space started. Um, you know, I was interested in that at school. Uh, I had a strong role model in my mum, who kind of brought me and my sister up. She had a degree in biochemistry, which, you know, for a woman in the, the 60s uh, was not that common. And uh, and then, you know, I always remember and still to this day, you know, whenever I hear David Attenborough speak uh i you know it brings back my childhood of watching documentaries on the on the bbc and so yeah kind of always had an interest in science but uh you know space wasn't on the radar but you were also kind of interested in <clears throat> excuse me you were also kind of interested in exploration but but more of a terrestrial kind yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's what eventually, uh, through a, a few uh, t- twisted paths, got me into geology and uh, eventually to Canada. So, yeah, you know, um, we always kind of camped uh, for holidays and things when I was growing up. I uh, did a lot of hiking and outdoor stuff. And then uh, when I was 13, I joined the Air Cadets in the UK. And unlike what you might think most Air Cadets do, which is, you know, flying planes and uh, learning how to recognize planes and things, uh, we had a group of staff uh, in my squadron that were you know, ex-military, outdoorsy, and so I learned to rock climb. We went on backpacking trips, and uh, you know, through those kind of formative teenage years, that's where I spent a lot of my time. You know, obviously still being interested in science at school, but really out there exploring. Right. So we're in the wilds of Scotland and England, and uh, that kind of started me down a path of uh, going into the military, actually, and not not university to start with. 
Yeah, I, I was an air cadet here in Canada, and I did spend a fair bit of time learning about airplanes, but, but we did do some of the outdoor stuff as well. I know another guest that's been on the show, Chris Hadfield, was also uh, an air cadet when he grew up. So that's a, a common theme amongst Terranauts, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what eventually drew you to Canada? So I eventually, uh, after thinking about a career in the military um, and the Royal Marines in the UK, um, ended up at the University of St. Andrews doing geology. And so I did my undergraduate degree there, you know, love geology. Um, we did tons of field work at that university and that combined with being in the mountaineering club at St. Andrews, you know, I really wanted to explore more. And so at the end of my undergrad, you know, I remember thinking, you know, wanting a new challenge, uh, something new. And so I was looking to North America um, for graduate work. At that point, it was probably just going to be a master's. That's all I had in my mind. Uh, I actually initially applied and got in. I don't tell anyone, I don't tell people now. I got into the University of British Columbia. And that was primarily because it was in BC, you know, close to climbing, um, but also because the project would, would have been working up in the Yukon. Wow. Yeah. And then it was actually a friend who sent me this uh, PhD opportunity out of the blue, uh, working out of the University of New Brunswick uh, that I'd never heard of, I have to say, at that point. Yeah, well, I, and um, and UN, UNB is not exactly close to the Rockies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but there was kind of three things that stuck in my mind from this, you know, it was a posted PhD advertisement. It was working up in the Arctic, which was somewhere I'd always oh, wanted to explore. Uh, it was working on impact craters, which was a totally new aspect of geology. So that was a challenge. Right. Um, and working with NASA, which was like, whoa, that, you know, that kind of sounds cool. And so right. I literally applied for this project, uh, Landed in Halifax and then Fredericton, New Brunswick. You know, never seen so many trees in my life. Right. Growing up in the UK. And then uh, literally two weeks later, I stepped out of a twin otter on Devon Island in the Canadian high Arctic to start my PhD. Where there, there were probably a few less trees. Exactly. Yeah. Zero to be exact. Yeah. So so what was it like working on Devon Island and, and what was the connection to NASA? Um, I mean, it, it was... It still is an amazing place to visit. You know, most recently I was there in 2016. Um, it is, you know, it was coined Mars on Earth um, by the NASA Horton Mars Project folks, uh, Pascal Lee and, you know, Mark Boucher of uh, Space Q. Um, I spent some time, I actually met him up there, I think, in the year 2000. So there was a lot going on on Devon Island in, in the early 2000s. Um, folks up there testing rovers, you know, I met the odd astronaut. Um, and, you know, while I was really, my PhD was looking at a meteorite impact crater on Earth. It got me looking at craters on other planetary bodies, on the Moon and Mars in particular, and just meeting all these amazing people who were, you know, exploring space by exploring Earth at that point. So, yeah, so, so you know, it's probably not immediately obvious to people who don't work in the business, but why, why is geology, why is Earth science important for exploring space? For sure. I mean, I'd argue, although I'm probably a little biased, that it's, you know, the most important science for, for our near-term exploration of the solar system. Um, you know, if you look at the Moon and Mars and the rocky objects of the inner solar system that are the, the nearest destinations, and we could put asteroids in there too, you know, they are rocky planetary objects and moons. Um, and, you know, 
geology is um, an impact cratering in particular, which is what got me interested, is one of the most dominant processes on these planets. You know, Mars has an atmosphere, so there's some atmospheric science to mix in. Um, but even astrobiology, you know, searching for evidence for past life on Mars and potentially some of the outer solar system objects, unless we find present day life, it's really about looking for fossil life in old ancient rocks. Mm. And so a lot of that begins by, you know, looking at the rocks, understanding their context. Um, and that really enables us to, uh, to explore even for, for looking for evidence for life. So, so if we send astronauts to other planetary bodies, really, really, we need them to be geologists. Uh, I guess yes and no. You know, I don't think they all need degrees in geology, um, but definitely some training in geology is going to be critical. Um, you know, having the odd geologist on the team, I think, would absolutely be fantastic. Uh, we saw the benefit of that during the Apollo missions when we had Harris and Jack Smith on the final um, Apollo mission. And, right. uh, you know, having him there on the moon with his geology mindset really did, I think, increase kind of the science uh, return from that mission. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said. Uh, the, the rest, you know, most of the other Apollo astronauts were pilots of some form or another. And, uh, you know, they got a lot of geology training, especially during the J missions, you know, the last three Apollo missions. Oh, yeah. They were, they were actually out in the field, I heard, uh, I've been told and have read, like on average for almost a week a month leading up to their missions. Really? So they were really immersed in geology. Huh, that's interesting. So, but but now even uh, modern astronauts, especially now that we're planning to go back to the moon and eventually Mars, um, are learning geology again. And you're actually you've actually had a hand in helping with some of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been a well, you know one of the highlights of my career so far um, was initially with Jeremy Hansen um, and then David St. Jack, uh, taking them up with me on my expeditions to you know various parts of the Canadian Arctic, and then more recently with the the recently graduated um, Turtles, the the astronaut candidate class that just graduated in uh, January 2020. So what what did you do with uh, Jeremy and then David specifically? Yeah, so this, you know, it was an idea um, that uh, a few folks at NASA had talked about, and uh, I talked about with the Canadian Space Agency when I, you know, up on Devon Island going back a number of years. And the idea was that, um, you know, in in Jeremy and Dave's class, they did a little bit of classroom training and, you know, a couple of field trips um, just for a few days throughout that couple of years. Um, and everyone recognized that wasn't enough. And so even back then before, you know, the moon was even on the radar, um, the idea was to get them out and just experience geology because uh, it's in the field. And, you know, when we teach undergraduate geology, uh, my philosophy is, and I think the students mostly agree, is that, you know, it's in the field where you really learn what geology is about and that hands-on experiential environment. Um, and so, you know, we took, uh, I took Jeremy first up to the Canadian Arctic. Um, the, the first trip was actually to northern Saskatchewan, kind of the low Arctic, and then up to uh, Northwest Territories, none of it. And as well as learning geology, though, a big um, motivation that the CSA had was the expeditionary skills. And this also came from mm -hmm. the NASA standpoint. So, so going on a field uh, geology expedition is is uh, in some ways an analog of exploring uh, another planetary body. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that was a big part of the motivation for, for taking the, the David and Jeremy up on those early expeditions with me. Um, you know, many, there are many similarities, obviously not to extremes, um, but, you know, just, I, I often actually joke uh, when I go up north, you know, it usually takes me about three days in a good year to get from London, Ontario to the field, you know, so mm. it's like, it's like going to the moon essentially. So it's right. a long trip. It's a long way up there. Um, but it's, it's isolated, you know, it's remote. Uh, I don't, uh, go to these, you know, established camps. It's literally, you know, you land in the middle of nowhere, get thrown out of a twin otter, your gear dumped on the ground, and then they take off into the, into the sunset as it were. Um, so we're learning how to, you know, cope with these remote environments, working in small teams and, uh, you know, quite challenging circumstances. And so there's all of these, uh, aspects that, uh, is good for the astronauts, you know, to, to get experience with and to, and to make it through. And a, and a twin otter looks like a large plane to some people, but I bet it doesn't really carry that much when it's got to feed, clothe, and house a group of people for an extended period of time. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a couple of thousand pounds of cargo, and so you know it's it's a good lesson in packing. It's a, it, I mean that's including all the bodies on the plane too. Sure, and and room and room room to bring home a load of rocks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now I guess one thing that's different than the moon or Mars and uh, and at least the high Arctic is that you're not likely to find polar bears on the moon or Mars, but you do sometimes run into them up north. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, the, the astronauts have got different uh, dangers of getting strapped to the top of a rocket to get there and back. Um, but yeah, you know, polar bears and uh, another wildlife up there, um, super cold, you know, rivers too, you know, that we often have to cross. There's, there's some other uh, inherent risks with doing field work up in the arctic and uh yeah you know it took me uh, i've been fairly lucky and having no major run-ins but uh this actually last trip to devon island ironically in 2016 we had uh, four polar bears on camp on the first morning so you know that's a good wake-up call i'll bet um yeah that's not the kind of guests that you want to have visiting the campsite unannounced i suppose no absolutely not did they did did they do any damage uh, they they did enough to uh, yeah they kind of destroyed our toilet facility. I uh, got into a couple of coolers and then uh, when I kind of uh, found the one who was obviously the lead troublemaker, he was uh, on his back legs raised up and was at his head peering into our kitchen tent. So it was a good kind <laughs> of meter slash and some couple of poles broken. Um, I think if it had been any longer than that, he would have destroyed the entire tent and that would have been our field season over. But uh, thankfully we're patch that up and, and continue with our field work yeah yeah well that's not likely something they're likely to run into on the moon no. so so have the astronauts uh, how have the astronauts enjoyed becoming uh, field geologists for a season i mean I th- you should probably ask them um but you know i do know jeremy and david enough now to know that yeah i think they have got a lot out of it um it always makes me chuckle when uh, when jeremy talks about uh, geology and you can hear he, he talks about in public talks and things too because he of course grew up on a farm actually not far from where i'm sat today in london and uh, right. he, he he always says you know his introduction to rocks was uh going through his his kind of family uh, fields and chucking them to one side yeah right, to pile right. Them up, up the side and little did he know that uh, there was so much interesting stuff to learn yeah the idea of collecting them to study them probably doesn't occur no, to most no. yeah um so what did you do with the with this latest class of nasa uh, nasa astronauts 
Yeah, so uh, I guess it was about three years ago now. Is this uh, you know the new um, select uh, new group of uh, NASA astronaut candidates were selected, and of course uh, uh, Jenny and Josh, um, the two new Canadian astronauts, and I got a kind of invite a bit out of the blue to join the instructor team for the uh, what we call Earth and Planetary Science training, and so this. Um, class and this is all credit to the folks at NASA Johnson Space Center who were able to convince you know the wider NASA astronaut training group that you know we should really have a lot more geology training uh, and I'd say it's you know earth science training uh, too so they essentially had two full weeks in the classroom that was split into two blocks one last year and one in 2018 and both of those classroom trips were followed by you know three or four days in the field uh, the first trip in 2018 was to new mexico and then last september um we were in northern arizona and looking at you know volcanism we did a, a a trip to Meteor Crater 2 and uh, the Grand Canyon. So looking at, again, analogous landforms that we see on other planetary objects um, but that we have uh, here on Earth. Oh, that's great. So uh, that's the class of astronauts that may very well be providing uh, people who, who eventually get to Lunar Gateway and, and certainly uh, the surface of the moon, yeah. uh, maybe a later class that goes to Mars. But someday some of those guys may be, uh, may be uh, getting back to you to tell, you tell you about how they collected rocks on the surface of the moon, which would be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool indeed. Absolutely. And, you know, it was actually, you know, it was during their training, you know, the first year we were really focusing on training them in and, and still, that's an important aspect is, you know, they're going up to the International Space Station first. And, you know, what do they do a lot of the time? And, uh, of course, so the science is, you know, looking down at Earth. And so recognizing mm. the types of landforms that they're flying over um, and things was also and still is a, an important part of that training. But, of course, by the time uh, last September came around, you know, everything had changed in the space of uh, just under a year and you know, the moon was front and center, Artemis was yes. here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, you could see the excitement in their eyes. And I think, you know, all of us instructors are incredibly excited too, to think that, uh, yeah, I mean, and the other cool thing too, is that the this region around Flagstaff in Northern Arizona is literally where, you know, every almost every place we visited, Apollo astronauts had been up there. Um, oh, is that right? Sixties and early seventies, there were you know well, well known, um, well tried and tested training grounds, and so that just I think got everybody excited. Following in the footsteps of giants, Absolutely. for sure. So, so when you're not uh, training astronauts or or going to the ends of the Earth, uh, what are you up to at the University of Western Ontario? <laughs> oh, just just a few things, Ian. Um, so, you know, my, my day job as a professor here. Um, I have an industrial research chair, so I don't teach um, uh, too much. Uh, I've been teaching mostly at the graduate level these days, and actually, most of my teaching is in field geology too. Uh, so, last September, you know, I, I taught a course up in Sudbury on impact cratering specifically and uh, right. this may i actually um and every may i run a, a planetary surface processes field school and we actually start in uh, las vegas in nevada and we spend a few days around flagstaff before going up to utah and then back around and so over two weeks um the goal of that field course is really to introduce students to you know pretty much the same thing we were teaching the astronauts the geological processes that shape the surface of not just the earth but the moon and mars 
Uh, and of course, you know, I'm uh, also director of the Institute for Earth and Space Exploration here that we just launched last year. So we're really trying to build Western into an epicenter for Earth and Space Exploration research, um, building out from our kind of foundations um, in engineering and science, so an increasing focus on health sciences, you know, space law, policy, and even business. And so a big part of my role as director is to kind of bring folks together from across campus, uh, create opportunities. And, you know, I really enjoy uh, that challenge and it definitely keeps me busy. So lots of different ways to become a Terranaut. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, and that's, you know, another big part of obviously what I do uh, here as a, as a professor. And that's a big part of our program here is that we have a graduate program and really Canada's only graduate program in planetary science and exploration. And, you know, we've got lots of Canadian and increasingly international interest uh, in in becoming people coming to grad school here and you know a lot of the students are drawn by this exploration theme you know they go up to the arctic they take part in these analog these simulated missions and uh so i would actually consider most of our graduate students here as terranauts and so maybe you'll have uh, one or two of them on the, the show in the future and of course yeah that would be great they're still at the age where hopefully some of them will be astronauts and you know might be those uh or, or, or maybe they'll be helping analyze the rocks that your astronaut trainees bring back from the moon. Exactly. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the, what you're doing here in Terranauts is really great, too, because it's you know, demonstrating that you don't just have to be an astronaut to be involved in space. And so especially in going back to the moon, you know, there's a need for you know, almost every subject and topic out there, there's a need. Um, you know, we need artists. We need, uh, of course, the engineers and the scientists. Um, but we need the space policy folks, law, business, like I said. Um, and uh, eventually, yeah, those uh, those geologists and material scientists who analyze the, the new, the next generation of uh, moon rocks that we'll be bringing back. Well, and, and that's that really is, uh, you know, the point of the podcast is that while, um, you know, activity in space is certainly exceptional, um, a lot of the times the people that, that take part in it are really just, just regular people. I mean, they, they're smart and they're good at their jobs, um, but most of them uh, never had, uh, never expected to leave the planet, um, but yet they do in a very real sense in the way that they do their job. And that, that's been my experience of the space program. And it's, it's, you know, it's really what Terranauts is about is to get people who live on the earth to think, think, outwards uh, and to figure out if, if there's a way that they can contribute, even if their body isn't going to go there, their mind and their expertise can. And and so I'm, I'm really interested in what you're doing at Western Ontario, and I, I certainly would encourage people to learn more about it, but I'd also encourage your your students and, and the other uh, faculty that are running um, running programs there. I'd love to hear from them. And, and as you say, maybe we should have some of them on Terranauts and explore all of the different ways that people get to space without ever leaving the ground. Sounds fantastic, Ian. All right. Well, this has been this has been really a fascinating window into another aspect of space exploration that probably most people don't don't know anything about. I'm sure most people don't think about going to the moon by going to the high Arctic. But in point of fact, it's one of the ways to get there. So thanks again, uh, Dr. Gordon Zinsky, for having been with us today on Terranauts. It's been a pleasure, Ian. Anytime. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Terranauts. Thanks for joining us. A reminder that you can now find Terranauts on iTunes and other podcatcher apps for iOS and Android. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review. 
If you have comments on the episode, you can email us at podcast at spaceq.ca. We read and answer all of your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space and on Facebook. Thanks again for listening and join us again next time when we'll go to space without ever leaving the planet. Talk to you then. Come on, let's keep the chatter down.